needs way more than a simple home improvement. And it's definitely not a do-it-yourself project. What would it look like to give yourself entirely to God and earnestly seek Him in every area of your life? Let God renovate and renew your heart as He makes it His home. When I gave my life to Jesus, I told him, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want to have you settle down here and make my heart your home. Everything I have belongs to you. Let me show you around. This week, Jesus and I visited the living room. This room was really cozy and comfortable. It had a fireplace, overstuffed chairs, a sofa, and a quiet atmosphere. He said, this is indeed a delightful room. Let us come here often. It is secluded and quiet, and we can fellowship together. Well, as a young Christian, I was thrilled. I couldn't think of anything I would rather do than have a few minutes with Christ in close companionship. He promised, I will be here early every morning. Meet me here, and we will start the day together. So morning after morning, I would come downstairs to the living room. He would take a book of the Bible from the case, and we would open it and read it together. He would unfold to me the wonder of God's saving truths. My heart sang as he shared the love and the grace he had toward me. These were wonderful times. However, little by little, under the pressure of many responsibilities, this time began to get shortened. Why, I'm not sure. I thought I was too busy to spend regular time with Christ. This was not intentional, you understand. It just happened that way. Finally, not only was the time shortened, but I began to miss days now and then. Urgent matters would crowd out the quiet times of conversation with Jesus. I remember one morning, rushing downstairs, eager to be on my way. I passed the living room and noticed the door was open. Looking in, I saw a fire in the fireplace, and Jesus was sitting there. Suddenly, in dismay, I thought to myself, He is my guest. I have invited him into my heart. He has come as my Savior and friend, and yet I am neglecting him. I stopped, turned, and hesitantly went in. With a downcast glance, I said, Master, forgive me. Have you been here all these mornings? Yes, he said. I told you I would be here every morning to meet with you. Remember, I love you. I have redeemed you at great cost. I value your fellowship. Even if you cannot keep the quiet time for your own sake, do it for me. The truth that Christ desires my companionship, that he wants me to be with him and waits for me, has done more to transform my quiet time with God than any other single fact. Don't let Christ wait alone in the living room of your heart, but every day find time when, with your Bible and in prayer, you may be together with him. Several years ago, some friends of mine had purchased a house and they were fixing it up. On one of those fix-up days, the husband went up into the attic and was looking around. They came across a, a brown paper bag. He knew that they hadn't put it there, and so out of curiosity, he looked inside. What he found inside was cash. In fact, lots of cash. Thousands and thousands of dollars were in that bag. They, they looked at the dates on the bills, and they were all from several decades before, so they knew that the money had been up there for quite some time. They had no way of knowing who had put it up there and why it was there. They wondered, maybe it was a miser's savings. He had put it up there and then forgotten about it. 
They even wondered maybe it was leftover loot from a bank heist. They weren't quite sure who it came from. And so the husband asked his wife, what's the ethics of this? What should we do with this money? Wife thought for a moment. She said, well, how about if we, we call Lon and ask him, see what he thinks? <laughs> the husband said, nah, Lon's a pastor. He's going to make us give it back. And so instead, they decided to call my brother, who's an attorney, knowing that they probably wouldn't get any ethical advice from him. <laughs> my brother told them that they could keep it. And in the end, they did call me also and ask me what I thought, and I told them also that they could keep it, as long as they tithed on it to a pastor they were good friends with. <laughs> See, here's a strange thing. Somebody had put that money up in the, the attic. Somebody had put that treasure up in the attic and then forgot that it was there. Think about the life that had happened in that house from the time the, the money was put up there until the time my friends bought the house. Several families had taken possession of the house. Several families had lived there. And imagine life was much like life is for us, filled with challenges sometimes, financial challenges even. There's mortgage payments to make. There's, there's debt to deal with. There's bills to pay. I imagine that there were sleepless nights caused by financial concerns. And the whole time, there was this treasure up in the attic. See, here's the point. There was a huge gap between the riches that were available to them and the reality in which they were living. They never went up to the attic. They never discovered the treasure. Truth is, for many people today, there's a gap between what they're experiencing in the relationship with God and what they could be experiencing. They never make the effort to go to the attic. They never experience the, the joy of life with Jesus. There's a gap between what they could be experiencing and what they actually are experiencing. The choice is theirs, but they never make the choice to go and be with God. From the beginning of time, it's been God's great desire to be with us. This truth is, is filled from cover to cover of, of Scripture, never more so than in the gospel messages where we are reminded of Jesus coming to earth, Jesus, who is God, coming to earth and taking on human flesh. We read in John's gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and when John talks about the Word, he's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now hear this. The Word became flesh. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. Other translations say, tabernacled among us. One commentator said, Jesus pitched his tent right in our neighborhood. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Is God's great desire from the beginning of creation to be with us. But even with that desire, and even with all the efforts that he makes to be with us, he still leaves it to you and me to make the choice to be with him. This morning we're going to talk about our choice, our choice to go up to the attic where the treasures are, our choice to move toward God. We're going to talk about what it means to pursue a relationship with God. 
Jesus said the person who finds his way into the kingdom of God is like the man who finds treasure in a field. He tells these parables in Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his glory went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. In both of these stories, the person found something of tremendous value, something worth far more than anything else they already possess. In the second story, we see the merchant is looking for a pearl. And in that way, it's similar to some parables that Jesus told, which are recorded in Luke chapter 15. In those parables, there's something that's lost that the person is looking for, a lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost son. But I want us to notice that in the first story, this guy's not out looking for something. He's not treasure-seeking. He's not some kind of Indiana Jones or a person who's hunting for national treasure. And we found the treasure just in the course of doing everyday life, of working the field. And when he invested in that field, he got a lot more than just a plot of land in return. See, when we make the choice to be with Jesus, it's not that we have to go and sit on a mountaintop and learn to chant. It's not that we, we have to live on one meal a week or, or read the Bible and pray 23 hours a day. No, we can make the choice to be with God in every part of every day. Now, spending time with God each day in his word and in prayer is, is so important. It's vital to a growing relationship with God. And so many of us have a quiet time or a daily devotional where we set aside time during our day to, to spend time reading God's word and, and praying. But equally important is time throughout the day. Time throughout each of our days that we can spend with God, becoming closer to him and growing that relationship with him. Followers of Christ, disciples of Jesus, knows that there's a treasure to be found in being with God. It's worth everything we can invest just to be with him. A disciple is someone who makes a choice that, to spend every day with God, seeking to learn from him, and seeking to become more like Jesus. We're continuing our sermon series this morning, a sermon series that we're calling My Heart, Christ's Home. And we're using the house as a metaphor for our lives, where each room of that house represents a different part of our life. Two weeks ago, we looked at the study, and we talked about the things that we feed our mind, whether they be things we see or things that we read. Last week, we looked at the dining room, which represents our appetites and our desires. Today, we're looking at the living room, which represents that time that we spend with God each and every day. As we talk about this, I want to cover four aspects of life which illustrate how interwoven this concept is in, in the fabric of our everyday life. And I want to start with our work. How do we work with Jesus? How do we make the choice to work with Jesus, to be with him in our work? I don't know if you realize this, but the largest block of time in our waking hours for many of us is spent working. And so it's significant. How we work, how we choose to approach our work is, is almost a life and death situation. There was a study done a few years ago which discovered that outside of genetics, the single greatest impact, the single greatest factor in longevity of life is work satisfaction. 
outside of genetics, the single greatest impact in the longevity of life is work satisfaction. Now, having heard that, I wonder if there's anyone here who's thinking they're going to die at any moment. <laughs> but work is important. Work is so significant. So I want us to talk about it for a few moments this morning from a biblical perspective, right? I think it's important that we, we talk about this because over the last few centuries, we have come to, to talk about work in terms of having a job which gives us a paycheck, right? And so we began to distinguish between those who work and those who don't work. Remember when you were a student and kids, remember how you've been told by your teachers that there's no such thing as a dumb question? Well, actually, there is such thing as a dumb question. Go to a mom who's got young kids and ask her if she works. That's a dumb question, right? We have to reclaim the biblical definition of work because it encompasses far more than how our culture defines it. The biblical perspective is that work is the creation of value as I serve God, as I care for his creation, and as I seek to benefit the lives of other people. And so work includes our paid employment, but it also includes our household chores. It includes our study and our schoolwork. It includes our volunteer work, both here at church and in the community. Here's a, a simple test that you can take to evaluate whether you are functioning with a biblical perspective of work. Ask yourself this. If tomorrow Jesus were to show up where I work, looking just like me, and he would step into my role, would anything go differently? It's quite a challenging question, isn't it? There's a, a passage in scripture that talks about work um, and it gives the, serves as kind of a recalibrating directive for me that I try to keep in mind in everything I do. It's from Colossians chapter 3 where Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Here's a true story. A, a husband was at home and he was sitting on the couch and he was just kind of scrolling through his phone. Meanwhile, his wife, who was eight months pregnant, was on her hands and knees waxing the kitchen floor. The man's mother-in-law walks in and sees her daughter and turns to the husband and said, how can you let my daughter do that? The man stops scrolling. He looks at his wife. He looks at his mother-in-law. He says, I tried to help. I told her if she'd just tie a rag around her middle, she could done twice as fast. <laughs> that man was never heard from again, was he? <laughs> Some questions that we can ask ourselves as we are wondering and thinking about working from a biblical perspective. Am I making an idol of my work? Do I sacrifice time and energy that ought to go to my family or friendships or to rest or to prayer? How do I treat my coworkers? If I'm in a position of authority, do I treat those who report to me as Jesus would? Am I truthful and, and fair with them? Do I work for their growth and for their development? Do I regularly ask God for help, for wisdom, for guidance in my work? Am I scrupulously honest in my work? Am I careful with my expense reports? Do I reimburse the company for personal use of company equipment like the Xerox machine? Is my work in line with my sense of how God has gifted and called me? And if not, what steps can I take to move in that direction? Whatever work constitutes for you, how we work, how we choose to work, reflects on our decision either to move closer to Jesus 
or to move farther away. See, work is one of the best learning environments that we have. It's an opportunity to discover the truth about ourselves. See, work is an intensive environment that God uses to test and to shape us to become more like Jesus. And so when we receive feedback, when we have a a performance review or some honest assessment of our habits and our attitudes, it can be very significant if we are open to hearing what they have to say. I want to shift gears now and think about what might be considered the opposite of work. How can we choose to be with Jesus in our recreational activities and our leisure time? God didn't make you to work all the time. Now, this may be a shock for some of you who are type A's out there, but part of God's will for you is that you rest and relax and play and are renewed. And every moment of free time that I have is a chance to be with Jesus. But we've got to be careful. Because very often the default mode for us is, is to spend time with what one sociologist called the 800-pound gorilla of leisure the television, right? Time researchers John Robinson and Jeffrey Godby did some research and discovered that in 1995, Americans spent 40% of their free time watching TV. That was an increase of one-third from 30 years before, and I, I shudder to think what the percentage is today, especially as we go beyond just television to all the screens that we're looking at, like our cell phones and our iPads and our computer screens. Time or author Robert Putnam, in his book Bowling Alone, writes, dependence on television for entertainment is not merely a significant predictor of loss of community. It is the single most consistent predictor I have discovered. Nothing, not poverty, not low education, not long commutes, not long work hours, nothing is more connected with the loss of community than is the reliance on TV for entertainment. People who rely on TV for entertainment are least likely to volunteer. They are least likely to stay connected with their friends. They are least likely to attend church. And they're most likely to give another driver the finger. And you know which finger I'm talking about. (laughs) Television is habit-forming, and it's even mildly addictive. In 1977, the Detroit Free Press was only able to find five families out of 120 that they contacted who were willing to give up TV for one month in exchange for $500 cash. Those who participated reported experiencing boredom and irritability and anxiety and depression. One woman reported, it was terrible. We didn't do anything. All my husband and I did was sit around and talk. (laughs) So how do we reclaim our recreational activity, our, our time for leisure and recreation? How do we choose to be with Jesus rather than with Hollywood? First of all, limit how much TV you watch. Decide on a limit how many hours the TV can be on in a given day. Secondly, limit the number of TVs in your house. Here's a shocking little factoid. In 1970, 6% of sixth graders had a TV in their own bedroom. In 1999, 77% of sixth graders had a bedroom TV. Maybe we want to go on a a media fast. Maybe give up TV for for a day or a weekend or for a week. Maybe go on a full media fast and and give up social media or internet or cell phones for a, a period of time. And as you're redeeming time lost to TV, ask yourself a question. What are some of the activities that God uses to breathe life into me? 
What are some of the things that, that I can do that help me to, to better love people and live with joy and with gratitude? Some people love to be outdoors, either riding a motorcycle or hiking or biking. Some love to cook. And so reading a cookbook and coming up with new recipes is refreshing and renewing for them. Maybe your deal is eating. And so you need to find somebody whose deal is cooking and make a spiritual friendship there. <laughs> Whatever it is, tomorrow you are probably going to have some free time. And so before you pick up that remote, stop and, and stay for just a moment. Here's my chance to be with Jesus. Here's my chance to learn from Jesus. A third area that we can make the choice to be with Jesus is through our lifestyle choices. We all make choices about how we're going to spend our time, about how we're going to spend our money, about the pace of life we're going to live in, the amount of debt we'll live in, the kind of choices or commitments that we'll make. How we make those choices reflects on our ability either to move closer to Jesus or to move farther away. The Apostle Paul basically said, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. The thing is, the world says move faster, and so we move faster. And when we do, it cuts us off from prayer. And the faster we go, the more angry and irritated we can become until the point comes where we struggle to love people. The media tycoon Robert Maxwell was being picked up at the airport by an employee. The employee showed up late, and so Maxwell fired him on the spot. Turns out the employee he fired was his own son. But it's not just media tycoons who struggle with this, right? Because if, Jesus, if, if Satan can't cause you to, to reject God outright, he'll settle with just making you real busy. And so we need to ask ourselves some questions. What's the pace of life that I can live at and still be intimately connected with Jesus? What's the pace of life that I can live at and still love people and still live with great joy? Another area that we make decisions about our lifestyle choices is in the stuff that we have, right? The stuff we have. The world says accumulate more. And so we live, we know we live in a consumer culture. Holidays which once existed for rest and for worship now are primarily excuses to shop and to consume. The, the mall has become the, the default gathering place. It used to be churches, it used to be town squares, but now mall is our culture's gathering place. And the rise in consumerism has led to a, a cluttering in our life where we have our lives filled with clutter. And one of the ways that we can choose to be with God is to, to decrease the clutter in life so we're freer to focus on him. Why not go on a 40-day declutter campaign in your home? Why not clear out your closet and donate the excess stuff to a, a charity like Three-Way Thrift? Now, obviously, this doesn't mean it's wrong to shop. It's okay to love beauty and, and, and enjoy excellence. Those are good things. The goal, though, is to come to the place where we can say, I need God's help to make wise decisions about how I shop. And then we want to carry that, that principle, that wisdom principle into other areas of our life. Maybe a, a job change or relocation or, or a new relationship. Anytime we make a major life decision, we should ask the question, how will this impact my ability to follow Christ? When we make the choice to be with Jesus, saying yes to Jesus means that we're going to have to say no to some other things. We'll have to say no to some things like no to debt, 
Maybe you want to take a financial management class and move from financial pressure to generosity. Maybe it's saying no to certain time commitments. Maybe there's an activity that you or one of your kids are involved in, which is a good activity, but it's contributing to an overall pace of life that's not healthy for your family. Maybe it's a major purchase decision, a purchase decision that will put you under financial pressure that's not healthy. Maybe it's a desire and a need to honor the Sabbath. We need time off. We need vacation time with people that we love to be refreshed and to be renewed and, and to be reminded of God's goodness. We need to bring healthy rhythm to our life's pace. And we need to clear out clutter so we have balance with our stuff. Make the choice to be with Jesus in your lifestyle choices. One more place where we can make the choice to be with Jesus is in our relationships. Have you ever considered that in every relationship you're in, you are making a choice either to include Jesus in that relationship or to exclude him? Every day we interact with people. And every interaction is an opportunity to learn from Jesus how to form a loving heart. For instance, the moment of greeting is important. Every culture has its own expressions, its own rituals in that greeting that help say to that person, you're significant, you matter to me. The Bible talks about this a lot. In, in the Old Testament, the standard greeting was the single word, shalom, which we often translate to, to being peace. But in the context of a greeting, it means may you flourish in God's good order. Four times when Paul wrote to the churches, he instructed his readers to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, that was part of their culture. Seems a little bit weird to me. I don't know that we want to recommend it. But I don't think we have much area to brag because we are a part of a culture which is the first in history where for a time our standard greeting was, what's up? <laughs> but as you greet someone, consider some of these options. As you greet the person, say a silent prayer that God would bless them. As you greet someone, consider the gift of touch. Some people never get touched. And so maybe a handshake or a, a touch on the shoulder or a brief hug would make a huge difference in that person's day. Go through the New Testament. See how often Jesus touched people. Very often the people Jesus touched were the people that no one else would, whether it be a sinner or a leper or a child. Another facet of choosing to be with Jesus in our relationships is through friendships. A few years ago, the Wall Street Journal printed an article entitled, Whatever Happened to Friendships? The author was making the point that we have marginalized friendships in our society. The author says, busy people have decided it's the one thing that they can do without. They are diminishing the value of friendship. The, friend, the comedy Friends was one of the most successful shows of all time. But the reality today is that friendships are becoming much less common. And when they do happen, when friendships are formed, they tend to be much more short-lived and much, much more superficial. A friendless life is not God's plan for human life. And when we choose to, to live with marginalized life or maybe even friendships with no friendships at all, we are choosing to be less with Jesus because very often he reveals himself through the community of friendship. The Bible says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Friendship is necessary for spiritual growth. Proverbs tells us, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens 
another. So the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, are we devoting enough time and energy and attention to forming those deep spiritual friendships? Another kind of friendship, another kind of relationship, we not only make the choice to be with Jesus, but we cling to him is when we deal with difficult people. You may be surprised to hear this, but you need difficult people in your life. Jesus was very emphatic about this. Jesus said this, and I I paraphrase, love your enemies, those who are difficult for you to like. If you love only those who love you back, where's the goodness in that? Even the mafia does that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Drug dealers do the same thing. The ability to love difficult people is kind of a litmus test of spiritual growth. And so you need difficult people in your life. It's absolutely necessary for your spiritual growth. Because through those relationships, through deciding to love a difficult person, we are deciding to love that person the way Jesus loves that person. And we can't do that apart from his help. So if you have difficult people in your life, be glad. And if you don't, we have a list here in the church office. We'd love to assign some to you. Think of somebody who's difficult for you to love. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it varies. Sometimes it goes smoothly and sometimes it doesn't. Every time you have an encounter with someone who's difficult to love, it's an opportunity to learn from Jesus how to live in his kingdom. Here's my chance. As I, I deal with that difficult person, as I seek to love him, here's my chance to be with Jesus in the stuff of ordinary life. Every day, woven in the fabric of our everyday life is the choice available to us to go to the the attic, to be with Jesus, to experience the riches of life with him, or the opportunity to choose to do life on my own. Every chance we have to go to the attic where the treasure is, is a chance to experience the richness of life spent with Jesus. Moses once prayed this, Teach us to number our days aright so we may gain a heart of wisdom. I pray that God would help us to wake up every morning saying, here's my chance to be with Jesus. Here's my chance to learn from Jesus. Here's my chance to grow, to become more like Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your great desire to be with us. Thank you for the efforts that you take to be with us. I pray that you would both grow our desire to be with us, to be with you, and teach us how we can do that in the stuff of everyday life. We know that it is through a growing relationship with you that true riches are found. And those are riches that we all want, Jesus. And so I pray that you would help us to make the decisions necessary to make every day a chance to draw closer to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.